What exactly is what I call a Selah moment? The Hebrew word Selah generally means to stop, to pause and meditate. Selah is used 74 times in the Hebrew Bible, 71 times in the Psalms, and three times in Habakkuk chapter 3 as a musical or literary interlude. Selah has even become a popular girl's name. Sometimes you may have heard me say in these programs when something strikes me as profound that I wish we could just stop and take a Selah moment to consider what the Lord is saying. And I believe we're passing through such a Selah moment in history. Many prophetic believers hope and believe that the Lord is coming soon for his bride, but the Lord has also been warning that his church is not ready. A silver lining of the coronavirus lockdown has been affording us a time to repent, to reflect, and to prepare to get our house in order, so to speak, for the Lord's return. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Here at the Jerusalem Channel, we work hard to keep you informed and up to date on prophetic end time events in the Holy Land. But we also see so many great humanitarian needs. And that's why your support is helping to keep this ministry lifting up the name of the Lord in the Middle East. One of our most recent projects was to donate and dedicate a fully equipped ambulance to Israel's National Volunteer Rescue Service. The ambulance is available to assist everyone, Jews, Muslims, Christians, and yes, even tourists who might need medical assistance. So thanks for being a part of the Jerusalem Channel by your gifts through our website or through our ministry addresses in the USA and the United Kingdom. Please help us to be a blessing to all the people of the Holy Land. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. A new Barnapole no doubt taken before we were hit by the virus crisis. This new poll points to a dramatic drop in biblical beliefs. Although Americans proclaim in God we trust on our currency, only a slim 51% majority of Americans say that they now hold a biblical view of God. And that's quite a drop because 30 years ago, according to the poll, 73% claimed to hold a biblical view of God. Increasingly, there's mounting evidence that Americans are both rejecting God or trying to redefine God in their minds, as if they could actually redefine God. Americans are more confident about the existence of Satan than God. Overall, 56% of those polls said that they believe Satan is an influential spiritual being, yet almost half, 49%, aren't fully confident that God even exists. An article by Dr. Michael Brown was headlined, Shock Poll, Me-Centered Gospel Results in Dramatic Drop of Biblical Beliefs. 
And the article asked why an almost identical decline occurred amongst the elderly as well as the young. Why this serious drop in beliefs? Well, the church used to preach self-denial and this Bible. But in recent decades, we've heard too much positive thinking and teachers acting like life coaches rather than preachers of the word. In fact, Dr. Brown speculated that we're reaping the fruit of a selfish, non-biblical, me-centered gospel. He wrote that we're reaping the fruit of a me-centered, self-improvement gospel. That's not the gospel at all. In times past, the church preached that sinners were wretched and that grace was amazing. But today, sinners are told that they are amazing. Today, many churches teach self-improvement, and yet the Bible clearly teaches that without the Lord, we can do no good thing, including improving ourselves. To do that, we must be born again. Our spirits must be regenerated to be a new and useful person in the kingdom of God. In times past, the church faithfully preached death to the self-life and to sin. Today, we're constantly told that Jesus came and died so that we can fulfill our dreams. So we needed a reality check, a Selah moment to ask ourselves honestly, if the Lord Jesus would suddenly appear today, would we be ready to see him? Or would we be ashamed? I do believe the Lord in his profound grace and mercy is shaking everything so that the church will wake up and get ready. The Lord is shaking the idols in our grandiose church buildings and ministries. The economies of our nations are taking a terrible hit, but the principle of Genesis 50:20 applies. That verse says that whatever the enemy has planned for harm, God is well able to bring good out of it. And in the New Testament, the companion verse is Romans 8, 28, which says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, these verses teach us that it's beneficial sometimes to be afflicted or disciplined because we can gain wisdom out of the situation and our characters can be strengthened. I think that all genuine believers can agree that the Lord is shaking the church during a very providential Selah moment to pause and take stock. It's not business as usual within the churches. And somebody has said that God has been giving the biggest altar call around the world at this time. Many societies tried to shut God out of our public lives. So God shut us in our rooms closed down theaters, sports stadiums, and so forth. We're seeing the results of what happens when governments allow the removal of the Ten Commandments from our midst, when governments refuse to protect the good in society and instead promote the death of the unborn while refusing to punish flat-out evil. With so much of the culture abandoning our gospel foundations, it's no wonder that we're in trouble. And this is due to the fact that our churches have compromised on sin. Pulpits haven't preached the reality of eternal judgment, the reality of heaven and hell, or the Lord's commands concerning holiness, godliness, purity, and 
discipleship. Instead, the culture of churchianity has edited scriptures, contradicted the Lord's holy commandments, and inoculated people to truth. Yet the good news in this hour is it's possible if we cry out to God that his mercies are new every morning. Now over in Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament, we have this call from the Lord and it says, I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. And don't be conformed to the behavior and customs of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will learn to know God's good and pleasing and perfect will for you. You see, the Lord is wanting to cleanse worldliness from the church. He wants to cleanse his bride from sin, compromise, and complacency. He's coming for a chaste bride. Do you recall in the book of Acts chapter 5 that in the early church, the apostles performed many signs and wonders amongst the people, and with one accord, the believers gathered together in Solomon's colonnade at the temple in Jerusalem. And although the people regarded them highly, no one else dared to join them, it says. Yet, more and more believers were brought to the Lord, large numbers of both men and women. Think about that. People looked with awe and reverence upon the apostolic church, and nobody dared to join them out of mere curiosity or idle religiosity. But on the contrary, the people treated apostolic believers with the utmost respect and spoke of them with honor. This was because of the sudden judgment of Ananias and his wife Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. People didn't lightly decide to make an open profession of their faith because they wisely understood the dangers of becoming a hypocrite or a liar. And what a contrast today between people's perceptions of the church when churches are closed down as being non-essential. Well, for years I've been meditating on the parable of the wise and foolish virgins in Matthew chapter 25. Do we have enough oil in our lamps to make it through until Jesus the bridegroom comes? Where has the holy reverential fear of God gone? But thankfully it's being restored. Many believers at this time are returning back to our first love, the Lord Jesus. And Yeshua is his Hebrew name. When we choose to live in the presence of the Lord, when we have a holy reverential fear of the Lord, then fear of death, fear of a virus, fear of poverty or loss of life and limb will subside. Now then, let's talk for a moment during this divine Selah moment about the issue of personal safety. Many are still afraid to go out of their houses. One of the Lord's many profound statements that comes to my mind is found in Matthew 16, 25, where he says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you believe this paradox and live by it? To me, the Lord's statement is all about risk-taking for the sake of the kingdom of God. 
And that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he said that he took pleasure in infirmities, persecutions, and distresses for Messiah's sake. Paul wasn't saying that he's a masochist, but he took pleasure in knowing that all of his troubles would benefit him in the world to come. So as believers, we simply can't always play it safe. When is life ever going to be perfectly safe? International commentator and author Dennis Prager has a meme going around which says, until it's safe means never. This is because, let's face it, complete safety just can't be guaranteed in this lifetime. We're talking a lot about public safety these days, and I prefer safety to non-safety, but I also know that nothing is ever going to be perfectly safe until Jesus comes to rule this world. It's unbelievable that there's so many so-called safe places nowadays on campuses to shield wimpy students who are fearful of hearing conservative opinions. To lead a happy and fulfilling life, we have to come to the conclusion that we're not on earth just to be safe. So many people tell me, Christine, I'd love to go to Israel with you, but I'm going to wait until it's safe. Or they don't come to Israel with us because their families are fearful for their safety. But I believe that walking the Holy Land is a great investment in your spiritual lives. And it's safer in Israel than in some crime-ridden cities in the West. For a believer, risk-taking is vital. Jesus said so. A person who answers the call of God will take plenty of risks. If you play it safe, you won't follow the sometimes mysterious leadings of the Lord. If you decide to play it safe in life, you won't be able to commit to going anywhere. You won't be able to commit to marriage. You won't be able to decide to have children because you'll say the world is too dangerous a place to bring up children. And you'll never visit an exciting new country or even dare to go on a cruise. In times like these, I'll certainly take necessary precautions, but I also depend upon Proverbs 21:31, which says safety is of the Lord. And let's meditate on one of my favorite Psalms, 27. It starts out, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Happiness is just being carefree to a certain extent. And that great psalm of safety, Psalm 91, declares that whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And Psalm 118 verse 8 says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. Cast your cares on the Lord, advises Psalm 55, and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. So today, we thank God that he saves us and he heals us. Of course, we thank God for the National Health Services, but we refuse to make an idol out of physicians and hospitals because you, Lord, are the one we ultimately praise for our health and safety. Amen. Well, the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, said that it's not God, it's not faith. We brought the numbers of the coronavirus down. But a proper response would be, 
We did it, but God had everything to do with it. As the prophet Isaiah says, it's you that has accomplished all that we have done. So let's be light and salt every day in a dark and confused world. You know, I wouldn't trade the life of being a believer for all of the world's riches. It's such an adventure following the Lamb. In Revelation 14.4, we are introduced to a group of 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will minister during the time of the Great Tribulation. And that verse says that they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. In other words, the Lord's agenda is their agenda. They're obedient. They follow the Lamb anywhere and everywhere. They will take up their cross and follow Him whom they love in all circumstances. So are we following the Lord or are we halting and hesitating? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to receive Him as Savior, to subject our souls and bodies to His leading and headship. To follow Jesus means to listen to Him as our teacher. To follow the Lamb is to imitate Him as our example because He said that He only did what He saw His Father doing. Whenever I've experienced an inconvenient change of plans, I've tried to discover how the Lord is in the circumstances. A change of plans becomes an unfolding adventure. When my flights have been canceled, I've had many divine encounters. The flight of a precious sister who was leaving Jerusalem was canceled, but as she returned back to Jerusalem, I assured her that the cancellation meant that she would just be going on another adventure with the Lord. And she later told me that as she returned back to her hotel, she was able to pray with two taxi drivers. They felt so blessed financially and spiritually because she was their first client in the past two months. One driver even proposed marriage to her. She said she refused, but prayed to God for a good wife for him. She also taught one driver the song, Sing Hallelujah to the Lord, and they worshiped the Lord together in the cab. He felt so joyful and happy. As believers, following the Lamb means that we will fulfill the particular call of God or vocation that He gives us in life, and also day by day. For some of us, it will be a life of adventure and travel for the Lord, going about preaching and teaching and doing humanitarian works. Others will be called to stay home and earn finances to send gospel laborers. But the reward is the same for both the supplier and the one who goes. Others will be called to spend a lot of time in our prayer closets as intercessors for the harvest and watchmen for our nations. In the Hebrew Scriptures, in Ezekiel chapter 3, the prophet tells us how God made him a watchman for his people Israel. He explains that if a nation acts in opposition to God's revealed purposes, the watchman's responsibility is to warn his nation. If the nation listens and repents and returns to God, the nation will be saved. But if it doesn't alter its course of action, it will deserve God's judgment. But the watchman himself will have saved his own soul. As God's people today, we're also responsible to deliver his message to the nations. And in this hour, 
One of God's main messages is found in a passage that I have shared around the world. In Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 10, where it says, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather Israel and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. This is happening. God is restoring Israel before the eyes of the world, despite the fact that many nations deny the truth that God promises to restore his ancient covenant people in their own land. Unfortunately, I meet so many Christians today who are wise in their own opinions. They think they know better than God about the Jewish people. And one of the shocking recent developments of the nation's rebellion was a new translation of the Bible in the nation of Denmark. The translators are products of our highly politicized and partisan times. They sought to deny modern Israel an inheritance of their land rights by biblical authority. So they produced a Bible with their own worldview by eliminating Israel. The word Israel was omitted or replaced in the Hebrew Bible in 9% of its occurrences and almost completely in the New Testament. But the Lord warns the nations not to oppose his purposes in regathering Israel. He wants the nations to cooperate with his end time plans. In Zechariah 2.8, God warns, He who touches you, Israel, touches the apple of God's eye. We all know that the apple of the eye is the most sensitive part of the entire body. And it's the part we're quickest to defend. And that's how God reacts to threats to Israel. But the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world, preparing nations to resist the establishment of Messiah's kingdom, which is coming in the near future. And in Israel itself, the watchman's task is to remind Israelis and the Jewish people who are still living in the diaspora of their unique calling and accountability to God. For example, in Amos 3.2, God told them, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So if Israel fails to live up to their God-given responsibilities, God warns them in advance of severe judgments. And thousands of years of history bear witness to this truth. But thankfully, God also declared that at his appointed time, in the last days, he will regather Israel and restore Israel as a people. The Danish Bible Society didn't comprehend what the Bible itself teaches. Furthermore, God says he requires the nations to be a part of the restoration of Israel. As the Apostle Paul tried to teach the stubborn church in Romans chapter 11, he wrote, For I don't want you, brethren, to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you are going to be conceited in your own opinions that a partial blindness has happened to Israel. Forever? No, he said, only until the full number of the Gentiles has come into the kingdom of God. And then all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them, God says, when I take away their sins. Hallelujah. So in the New Testament, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is reiterating important truths that God has already plainly foretold in 
Jeremiah 31, which I mentioned earlier, and also in Jeremiah 32, where God says, Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries where I have driven them in my anger, fury, and wrath, and I will bring them back to the land of Israel, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Then God says, I will give them one heart in one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Yes, God says, I will rejoice over them to do them good. And I will assuredly plant them in this land, in Israel. He says, with all of my heart and with all of my soul. I think that's so amazing that God says he will accomplish the restoration of Israel with all of his heart and soul. Therefore, it would be total and utter foolishness for anybody, for any politician, or any nation to resist what God says he's going to accomplish with all of his heart and with all of his soul. Furthermore, God assures Israel of a place of preeminence amongst the nations. And we find that in Isaiah 60, verse 12, where he says, For the nation and kingdom which will not serve you shall perish, and those nations shall be utterly ruined. So let it be said and let the warnings go out that individuals and nations who oppose God's purposes concerning Israel, they're responsible for the judgments that they bring upon themselves. People, this is serious business, but who is preaching it? Who is warning during this Selah moment? I'd like to ask you, do you feel responsible to pray for your nation? I do. Besides Israel, I'm deeply grateful for all the blessings I've received through my two nations of citizenship, the USA and Britain. And as an intercessory watchman, I'm not prepared to write these nations off. I believe it's God's desire to bring these gospel-sending nations, Britain and America, to repentance in order for us to continue to bring the fullness of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God. We pray also for the great nation of China to be released from the tyranny of communism and for every false agenda to be exposed at this time of coronavirus and rumors of war. In closing today, I wonder what lost souls in hell would give for the opportunity to retrace their steps and to call on the Lord for salvation before it was too late. I just can't emphasize enough that today is the day of salvation. So don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today, for there may be no tomorrow. The final sacrifice for sins has been provided freely, voluntarily by Jesus at the cross, and there's no other sacrifice for sins. If you reject Jesus, the world's only savior, he said, you will die in your sins. I've been telling you during this coronavirus that it's dangerous to die in the excrement of your own sins but there's safety in the Lord. Theologians compare Jesus to Noah's ark during the flood. As long as you were inside the ark, you were safe. Today, you need to be in Messiah to be eternally secure. We desperately need the freely provided covering of his precious blood over the doorpost of our hearts. We desperately need the robe of his righteousness that only the Savior, the Lord Jesus, can provide for us. There's no shortage of his mercy. His redemption is free. 
paid in full at the cross. And the Bible tells us that we weren't redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold, but we were redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God. Many people are being asked to give blood in a time of crisis, but Jesus made the ultimate donation to the world. He gave his own blood to pay for our sins. And I rejoice that the good news of the gospel also includes healing. The light of his divine radiance heals us. And let's declare that he sends forth his word and heals us and delivers us from our destructions. The same Jesus who healed all who came to him is alive and offers us both pardon and healing from our sins and torments. Amen. In the meantime, I want you to feel free to contact me on the social media or through our website at exploits.tv where you can sign up to receive our weekly updates and our electronic newsletter, Exploits. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel app. And I also encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Until next time, always contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. I'm Christine Dark. Shalom and Maranatha.